0: This podcast is brought to you by Reynolds and Reynolds, the industry leader in automotive technology. Learn how inadequate data may be impacting your used vehicle department at rayray.com slash used cars. That's re slash used dash cars.
1: Want to dive deeper into the topics you hear about on Daily Drive? We're offering listeners a special offer, 20% off a one-year automotive news digital subscription. That gets you access to all of our news, information and analysis made for automotive industry leaders like you. Go to autonews.com slash Daily Drive promo to redeem. Welcome to Daily Drive for Thursday, December 7th, 2023. I'm Jake Neer with Automotive News in Detroit
2: and for Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker in Las Vegas. Today on the show, the UAW says it has signed a thousand VW workers in Tennessee and an organizing push. Ford says the Mustang Mach-E probably will not qualify for federal tax credits next year. And the EV battery supply chain battle heats up between China and the Biden administration. Plus a preview of next month's CES show in Las Vegas and the biggest automotive stories to watch for. I still think that CES is for the OEMs a very important show to showcase the latest tech in the vehicle, so a bit less sort of new cars, right, a bit more tech. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry.
1: The UAW says it signed up more than a 1,000 employees at Volkswagen Group's non-union Tennessee auto plant that sets up a high-stakes showdown at a site where the union suffered painful past defeats. The union says it has now gained the support of more than 30 percent of workers at the Chattanooga facility. It's a key threshold for the group. The UAW says it means Volkswagen employees who have been working with the union will go public with their efforts as they seek to win more support. Once 70% of employees at a UAW target plant support organizing efforts, and if the company management declines to voluntarily recognize the union, the labor group will try to win a
2: government-supervised unionization election. Ford says Mustang Mach-E electric vehicles currently in dealership showrooms probably won't qualify for federal tax credits beginning in January. The U.S. Treasury issued guidance last week that details new battery sourcing restrictions that take effect on January 1st. They're aimed to wean the U.S. EV supply chain away from China. The model Mach E qualifies for the $3,750 federal tax credit. Ford has sold almost 36,000 Mach E's in the U.S. in the first 11 months of this year. That's up 3.5% over the same period last year. In October, Ford said it was cutting some Mach-E production. Ford also said in October that it's postponing about $12 billion in EV investments, including delaying its second battery plant in Kentucky. General Motors said today that it expects many of its EVs to qualify for U.S. tax credits next year after new stricter rules that limit Chinese battery content take effect in the new year. China says those Biden administration
1: plans to limit Chinese content in batteries eligible for generous EV tax credits violate international trade norms and will disrupt global supply chains. The plans will make investors in the U.S. EV supply chain ineligible for tax credits if they use more than a trace amount of critical materials from China or other countries deemed a foreign entity of concern. China's dominant position in the global battery supply chain has prompted U.S. and European officials to take action over fears that cheap Chinese EVs
2: could flood their markets. And Scout Motors has added another key executive with ties to Volkswagen Group as the EV brand continues to build out its management team. Burkhard Hoonkey joined Scout as its chief technical officer in November. The brand says Hoonkey reports to Scout CEO Scott Keo and leads the brand's engineering strategy and team. Scout is set to reveal an SUV and pickup next year. Scout plans to begin vehicle production at its assembly plant in South Carolina by the end of 2026, with sales to start soon after. And those are today's headlines. Coming up, we'll look forward to the CES show in January and what to expect from automakers. That's next on Daily Drive.
1: The auto industry's shift to carbon neutrality is here and it's accelerating, but is it enough? This is a moral imperative, an economic imperative,
3: a moment of peril, but also a moment of extraordinary possibilities. No more hesitancy, no more excuses, no more waiting for the others to move first. There is simply no more time for that.
1: Driving to Zero is a new podcast series from Automotive News that looks at the auto industry's roadmap to carbon neutrality. We take a big picture look at the environmental, political, and social trends pushing the move toward a greener future. And we pull back the curtain on how these decisions are being made at the highest levels. I said, you know, the, the headline that you need is is GM believes in an all-electric future. And I think Dan Ammon and Mary Barra pretty much said the same thing, which is, is like, but but we, we don't. Spoiler alert, they came around to that idea. Find out how and much more. I'm Jake Neer. Join me and Automotive News Executive Editor Jamie Butters on Driving to Zero, available now wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Lack of inventory, increased auction fees, and a volatile market means stocking your lot can be challenging these days. To be successful, you have to move fast. You need to make decisions quickly at auction. You need to inspect trade-ins and decide on an offer that will benefit you without slowing down the sales process. You need to appraise and price vehicles with the most up-to-date information possible in a market that can change quickly. But the data you rely on to make these decisions could be holding you back. How often do you find yourself manually filtering through comps because there are outliers that don't match the vehicle you're appraising? When unexpected mechanical issues come up, how much time do you have to spend looking back through comps to reprice the vehicle and determine if the reconditioning costs are worth it? How long do you spend searching through individual auction and third-party websites for the inventory you need? These problems affect the entire used vehicle process from acquisition to appraisal to merchandising. Visit reyrey.com slash usedcars to explore how old and irrelevant vehicle information may be holding you back and discover how to make improvements for faster, more accurate and more profitable decisions. That's reyrey.com slash used-cars.
1: Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jake Neer with Kellen Walker. The CES show has become one of the most important events in the automotive industry in recent years. While traditional auto shows have struggled to stay relevant, CES has boomed with new automotive tech exhibitions, and automakers have chosen the show as the place to unveil new models amid a new era of electrification and automation. But fewer automakers will be on the floor this year. CES 2024 kicks off on January 9th, our own Hannah Lutz and Pete Bigelow previewed the upcoming show with Kirsten Heinecke, a partner at McKinsey, who co-leads the firm's Center for Future Mobility. They spoke during a live event on the Automotive News LinkedIn page. Here's a piece of their conversation.
4: Kirsten, I'm curious, is, is the lack of an automaker presence this year, and like Hannah said, there certainly are some, but not the volume we've seen. Is Do you see this as perhaps a, a one-year blip or... Or is CES no longer the auto show uh, as, as it's kind of been over the past uh, five plus years? I hope not. I
3: think uh, I think it's definitely a combination of maybe some budget restrictions on some parts of the OEM uh, of the OEMs, uh, and and maybe some of the OEMs have also been overdoing it a bit when it comes to how many people they were sending to CES and how much they made out of CES. Right, but I I still think that CES is for the OEMs a very important show to showcase the latest tech in the vehicle. So a bit less sort of new cars, right? A bit more tech around infotainment, around autonomous driving, but also around other trends. Uh, and I think this will continue. So I would just take it as a, like you said, like as a blip, and I'm sure that they will be back in in larger force, especially when sort of the situation improves a bit in 2025.
0: What kind of autonomous vehicle technology do you expect to see at, at this year's show? There's been um you know, some nerves around that technology recently, uh, what we've seen with Cruise and some others. So what will the message be from these tech companies to reassure consumers and really um, explain the technology?
3: So I think first and foremost, we're going to see, in my mind, all of the autonomous technology. So all of the different use cases. doesn't matter if it's private autonomy, level three on highways, uh, things that go into valet parking and other slightly more niche and um, specific use cases. But I'm sure we're also going to continue to see robo-taxi technology, robo-shuttles being presented. And then we're also going to keep talking about uh, freight transports or anything that is uh, level four trucking. And, and also other, other use cases around last mile delivery and so on. So again, I think all of it, and i probably missed two or three use cases from the drone space and from other areas. I think the main message at CES this year is going to be a bit similar to what we saw last year. So uh, the technology is getting there, right? It's just a question of getting it into the market. There are some kinks that we need to uh, figure out. And then especially for taxi and shuttle, I think it's also now very much about community engagement, so making sure that the stakeholders in the broader community in the cities where you're launching are aligned with the product and that they understand what is happening, and also about getting the economics right. And especially for robo-taxis and robo-shuttles, the challenge is, in my mind, very much on how do I get the economics to a point where I can actually scale up the technology to multiple cities without burning countless amounts of money. And I think that's, to me, part of the the message. Uh, It's a question how to get the technology out there, how to make it scalable. And to me, this is the main focus of, of the companies.
4: Kirsten, I'm curious whether it's because of the technology itself or, um, or because of some of those financial pressures uh, on the robo side of things where there's no human involved. Do you or McKinsey overall, do you see timelines being pushed back further from where they already you know were kind of being delayed in the first place?
3: So we did repeat our autonomous driving expert survey. We started it in 2021. We did it now over the summer and and fall of 2023. And yes, you can say timelines are being pushed out. So we do see t- some timelines that actually were pushed out by two years during the last two years, which is this, uh, which might play to the notion that autonomous is always five years away, right? And we're not getting any closer. But we also do see some timelines actually, yes, being pushed out, but that we're still getting closer to it. Uh, and in my mind it's still a combination of the fact that the technological challenge is simply sizable but i think it's also the the realization that there are some day-to-day problems that you only encounter once you actually get it to the road and this is simply maybe making some of the statements that we saw 2 years ago a bit less aggressive and i think the third one is actually 2 years ago when we did the survey for the first time the investor climate was different and i think investors wanted to hear very aggressive timelines And maybe this is also a bit of a change in the degree of realism, if you will, uh, also due to the different financial climate and due to the different investor ecosystem these days.
4: Say, how much has that overall change in the investor climate and the VC climate impacting transportation technology uh, across the board? And, you know, perhaps that gives us a a lens as to what we'll see or what we won't see at at CES uh, here in a few short weeks. I think the
3: short answer is it it very much depends. And let me explore
4: that a bit more. I think we still see tremendous
3: innovation and tremendous amounts of funding uh, being given to companies at the pre-seed and seed stage. So in the very early stages, there are still many, many companies being created. I think that number has even uh, gotten higher than it was in in sort of previous months and previous quarters, and maybe even than it was in in the 2021, uh, 2022 or early 2022 hype times. On the other hand, we, we do see that it's obviously become much harder to fund a company when you're looking for a series A, B, C, and then uh, beyond that, especially when it's a company that's sort of pre-revenue or very early revenue we still see successes so one example um, was announced this year uh, this week it's also a company that uh, is going to be present at cs i think and that uh, is in the autonomous space for Telex. they uh, had a great closing of their of the current financing round and there are many many other successes across the world but the number of successes in terms of funding rounds has simply been decreasing a bit over the last couple of quarters and i think this is also going to continue and what does that mean for cs Uh, I think we haven't seen sort of all of these companies or many of these companies go belly up. I think it might be that some companies might be a bit less present, might be underinvesting a bit in their CES presence. And we also do see it's a bit less related to CES that companies are now also looking at other sectors outside of automotive because these promise simply faster returns and faster revenues and therefore a better investor story.
0: Uh, You mentioned the technology as sort of a roadblock when you when you get to the road, what are these companies facing? What are they trying to sort out to um, have a safe vehicle on on U.S. roads?
3: So I think it's a it's a combination of a multitude of things, right? One, the the number of edge cases out there. When you think about things that can happen in an auto, in an environment in an urban environment, especially, and you want to drive autonomously through a city, the number of edge cases or corner cases is simply endless. And the question is ultimately, how can you get to a reasonable confidence that the system is able to deal with these cases, even though it hasn't encountered it before? I think the whole idea of uh, validating and verifying the systems is one that is has sort of come uh, increased significantly when it comes to a level of importance uh, for these system players. And I think the other piece is when you think about what actually happens when such a vehicle is deployed in a city, Uh, It's not only that these are corner cases, but the reaction of the stakeholders in the environment and the citizens and many people that are sort of involved around it is also something that I think the companies didn't foresee to the extent to what, what happened. And I think dealing with these two in conjunction is something that simply makes it a bit more difficult than anticipated to get these systems to the market and bring these systems out at scale. And then the third one is the whole idea of cost. Right, So I think these systems are, obviously the technology is expensive, but also the operations are still expensive. This is something that uh, every single system has gone through, the micro mobility players, the scooters, the e-kick scooters, the bicycle companies, they went through it. Just a question of sort of collecting experience and then taking this to, to optimizing the fleet operations of the system. And this is something that also is happening and, and will need to happen for these companies to be rolling out at scale.
4: Kirsten, I'm curious, since you mentioned scooters, I'm thinking about micromobility a bit and, and the simple fact that Las Vegas, where we go to CES, is always a very hard place to get around. I'm curious if, if you see micromobility uh, expanding, you know, not just in Las Vegas, obviously, but globally, is that, is that a, perhaps putting a dent in, in vehicle sales uh, as we think of them traditionally from the automotive sphere?
3: So I'd say micromobility is definitely putting a dent in vehicle miles traveled. So the amount of trips and the type of trips that people do with their private vehicles, with their cars, right? That is definitely impacted by micromobility because I know that especially in the U S certain types of vehicles are extremely popular and the larger, typically the better, Uh, but maybe a very large pickup truck isn't necessarily the best choice. If you just do a two mile trip or so, there could also be other smaller vehicle types, right? So me personally, we don't have a car anymore, so we, we gave up our car. Uh, I'm doing all of my trips by shared e-kick scooter, and then whenever I need a car, I'm renting one over the weekend. But that's also because I live in Frankfurt, and I've got like four minutes on my e-scooter or on the shared e-scooter to the office. If you live in an environment, especially in the U.S., where the trips are slightly longer, then obviously the number of trips that can be cannibalized by, by micromobility are different, right? And it's, it's probably smaller. Does that lead automatically to people buying fewer cars? I think it will, and it might, but it's not that everybody who doesn't use the car that frequently anymore is automatically getting rid of the car. right? I think what, what we see and what we start to see is people might be holding on to their vehicles a bit longer. People might be, if they buy a next car, choosing something that might be slightly less expensive, right? and then uh, simply due to the fact that the car for some people becomes I don't want to say unimportant, but maybe a bit less important because they're also complementing their trips with other other modes of transport. And I think micromobility is one that that definitely is very popular and has increased in popularity.
1: Kirsten Heineke is a partner at McKinsey who co-leads the firm's Center for Future Mobility. He spoke with our own Hannah Lutz and Pete Bigelow. You can find their full conversation on the Automotive News LinkedIn page. And make sure to stay tuned for coverage of CES 2024 here on Daily Drive and on the pages of Automotive News and Autonews.com. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jake Neer and for Jamie Butters.
2: And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to our own Jack Walsworth for his reporting for today's podcast. You can get the latest news on innovation, EV tax credits, and everything happening in the auto industry at Autonews.com
1: come back tomorrow for a conversation with one parts and service director about his success creating a culture of leadership in the service department.
4: Whatever success I've had has been based on the fact that helping people, whether they be customers or employees, get what they want or help them define what they want. When you consistently concentrate on fulfilling that, you're successful. The success comes with you.
1: If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review and subscribe so you never miss an episode.